invite you to turn to the book of Matthew in the Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, we encourage you to follow along. There should be one under one of the seats near you. If you're not familiar with the Bible at all, Matthew is one of the New Testament gospels or stories of Jesus' life. There's an index in the front so you can get there. It's Matthew 7, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6 this morning. If you come here and just kind of checking out Christianity, we're just really glad that you're here. There's a bookshelf out in the foyer that has Bibles and other resources back there. Please check that out. Pick up anything that's of interest to you. It is our gift to you. We're just really glad that you are here today. We're going to look at a verse that I think probably in our culture is more well-known than even the guy with the rainbow hair that holds up John 3.16. It's Matthew 7. One, um, I think it's probably the most quoted verse among people in the world today and maybe the most well-known. Um, Jesus, this is in the Sermon on the Mount, he starts out, he says, Judge not that you be not judged. This verse is thrown about all the time, right? And it's interesting how so many people have grabbed onto this verse and, and really love it. I understand why. About seven or eight years ago, there was a survey done among non-Christians in terms of what they thought of Christians. And there was a whole bunch of different descriptors that were given there. And uh, this made a lot of press back then. But uh, let me ask you a question. What was the first descriptor of Christians from a non-Christian point of view? What do you think that was? Judgmental was the number one, followed by number two, hypocrites, right, Ryan? You get bonus points. And what was the third one? Being anti-gay. Those were the three things that the non-Christian world looks at Christians and says, this is what those people are about. They're judgmental, they're hypocritical, and they hate people who are gay. Now, I look around, and among the people that I know in church and talk to, I don't really see those people being really judgmental about others. I see them really seeking to live out their Christian life, and to me, a hypocrite is someone that represents themselves as being something different than they are. And none of these people that I hang out with would say, I'm perfect, I've arrived at that place of perfection in this world, and everybody else is really messing up. And certainly they're not anti-gay in terms of hating gay people. They may stand for a Christian sexual ethic, but they don't have a hatred towards those that don't. And I'm saying, why is that the case? Now look around in the, the world, and, and I think, you know, we're in a media world right now, and, and so when a Christian is represented, it's often what? The Westboro Baptist Christian, Right? that's holding up signs at funerals and protesting out of, outside, you know, God hates fat. And that's how the world looks at the church. And I think, well, that's pretty unfair. But I look at those people, even in Pensacola, and the people at the street corners that are screaming at people, and I'm just saying, oh. and I find myself moving into, Jesus, these people are just totally messing up. Don't you agree with me? They're kind of being really stupid. And then I realize, you know what I'm doing? I'm judging the people that I see as, as judgmental. And I recognize, wow, this is, this is something that probably we all struggle with, right? It's not just that 
there are those people out there that are uptight and upright and don't like it when anybody else has any freedom to exercise in this life and maybe even enjoys life a little bit. But Jesus here says, judge not that you be not judged. So what in the world is he talking about? When we hear the word judge in English, basically it refers to some kind of a verdict that we pass on people, right? And usually that verdict is, eh. But the word here is much broader than that in Greek. And it's used in many, many ways in the New Testament. And so we have to be really careful of which kind of nuance of this word that we're pulling out when we hear this, judge not lest ye be judged, right? As the world looks at this verse, it's like, yeah, I love that because why? Everything I do is okay, get off my back, right? And so they love this because of that. They also love it because I think Sometimes deservedly so, the church has judged people harshly and critically. And so to me, there's some reality behind why they glom onto this verse. Because there is this at least stereotypical view of a Christian as someone who does not like anybody that has not met their behavior standard and is not living in the way that they think they should be living. So when Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged, what is he saying? And again, this word judge, it can refer just to decide something. In 1 Corinthians 2.2, Paul says, you know, I decided basically when I came to Corinth, this is how I was going to preach there. It's just a decision that he made in his head. In Romans 14.5, it says, some of you judge one day to be more important than another in worship. Basically, some of you prefer one day, some of you prefer another. That's how you judge there. It means to evaluate. In 1 Corinthians 10.15, Paul says, I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I'm saying. So evaluate. Think about it. Is this making any sense? It's used of rendering legal verdicts. Jesus uses this in John 8.30. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. So that's more of a legal verdict. It is used of condemning someone as guilty. In John 7, 51, Jesus says, Does our law judge a man before giving them a hearing? So that's the idea of rendering a guilty legal verdict. And Jesus says our law doesn't do that. It allows for, in one sense, witnesses to come and there have to be at least two witnesses before declaring a guilty verdict and it can also mean even to judging eternally in Luke 22:30 it's talking to the disciples they're going to sit on 12 thrones judging the tribes of Israel in the end times this judgment is going to be done so that's that's the really big judgment so the question is when Jesus says here judge not that you be not judged, which of those is he talking about? I think he's primarily referring to that rendering a legal verdict, certainly condemning someone as guilty, and also passing judgment on kind of their state of their relationship with God and their eternal destiny. I don't think Jesus is saying here, don't use those critical faculties that God has given you to evaluate other 
decisions that you're making in life. He's not saying, okay, Christians, just be kind of naive, wet noodles, whatever, just go with the flow. That's pretty clear that Jesus is not saying that because in this very passage that we are going to read this morning, he's going to talk about basically not throwing your pearls before dogs and pigs. So, in essence, he's saying, you've got to judge who's a dog and who's a pig. And then later on in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about false prophets and evaluating or judging them by their fruits. So Jesus, I don't think we're going to say, is totally nuts that he says one thing, and then a few verses later he says, no, you can't do that at all. So he says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is a reading of God's word. So the first point I want to make is that Jesus here is telling us to stop being harshly critical and judgmental towards other believers because it puts us in a very spiritually dangerous position. Jesus is not commanding us to stop using our minds as we go through this world. He's not forbidding us from deciding legal cases or saying that no Christian should serve as a judge. Uh, The Russian author Tolstoy basically took this position that forbade any Christian from being in that position. I do not think that is what Jesus is talking about here. And he's not calling on us, well, don't label anything as good or bad, right or wrong. Jesus says, stop judging by appearances and make a right judgment. So there are places in Scripture where we are commanded to evaluate, to judge, to use our minds to reason through things. In Matthew 18 that we're going to get to, we're in a situation of church discipline where a brother sins against you and it's clearly a sin and you have to recognize that as a sin and there's a process through which you go to remedy that. In 1 Corinthians 5, it talks about a man that's sleeping with his stepmom and the church has been basically applauding that and Paul says, that's crazy, you need to judge that. And then he says, I'm not talking about judging people outside of the church. I'm talking about judging those inside the church. And I think oftentimes in the church we do the opposite. (laughs) We judge those outside that don't know Christ and don't have even the ability to live in a Christ-like way and then we kind of turn a blind eye often to what's going on inside of the church. Jesus is very concerned with our being judgmental and harshly critical towards other believers. Why is that such a big deal? Because essentially when we begin to pass a verdict or a judgment on another believer, we are assuming God's role. Right? Turn over to the book of Romans, chapter 14. 
And this is a section that's talking about how do we deal with these differences that Christians have in the church in terms of how our freedom operates. And this isn't a big deal for us, but some said, okay, you can eat meat sacrificed to others. Others said, don't eat that meat and are vegetarians. So there's this debate going on back and forth, and Paul is trying to speak in to that debate. In verse 4, he says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Believer, don't assume the Holy Spirit's role in the life of another believer. And then he goes on later in verse 10. He says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Again, why do you render this verdict? It doesn't say don't think about this and think it through. Paul in that section basically says, yes, God has given us the freedom to eat all meat, but that's not something that you should use to evaluate other people because the people with freedom tend to look down on the people that don't have it, right? Don't you understand the freedom you have in Christ, numbskull? And the people that don't have the freedom tend to judge the people that do, saying, I can't, did you see that person? They were... I think they had a beer. I think they, I'm really starting to question where they stand with the Lord and the seriousness of their relationship with God. So they're passing judgment, not in terms of, okay, is this thing okay, right or wrong? We can have differences about that, but we're passing judgment kind of on the state of this person and their relationship with the God of the universe. Why do you pass judgment, verse 10, on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. It's his prerogative to judge us. For it's written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of another. So Paul's pretty clear there saying, taking what Jesus said, this is how this applies in the church. There's going to be differences of opinion that you have with other believers. It's just the reality. As you walk through life and as you grow in maturity in your Christian walk, I would hope you would say, what I believed about God and what I thought about his truth the first day I became a Christian maybe has changed and grown and developed a little bit over time. And so as I look at another person, am I judging them with where I am after being a Christian for 30 plus years and saying, that idiot, why don't they get it? Or am I giving time for the grace of God to operate in their lives and for them to grow as well? And Jesus says when we judge, it's often hypocritical. This is the only time in the Gospels where Jesus calls his disciples hypocritical. He says, you're a hypocrite. So it's just not hypocrites or not. It's calling the church, you guys are hypocrites. Why? And he uses this really colorful illustration. Hey, you get a little speck of sawdust in your eye. Jesus was a builder, right? He's working with this stuff all the time. He's just using an example from his life. Probably has gotten a speck of sawdust in his eye. And, and he's also working with beams and probably making door frames. And he says, hey, you got a speck in your eye. And he then gives this picture of this guy with like a four by four out of his eye, seeking to help take that little teeny speck out of his eye, right? What do psychologists call this? Projection. Where you see a fault in another person that you have, but you don't see it in your own life. 
And so you seek to correct what is actually really worse in your own life. So Jesus says basically, make sure before you go about correcting somebody else that you've done an inventory in your own life. That you're willing to look at your life and like at the end of Psalm 139, say, search me, God, see if there's any wicked way in me. And not be so quick to look at that little speck. And I think it's illustrative there that there's this little teeny speck. It's just a little minor thing. It's a gnat, right? And that's another colorful thing. Yeah, he's got a gnat in it, but you're swallowing a camel. It's like deal with the stuff in your own life. And again, I think when we do this, we fail to realize how merciful God has been with us. That's another one of Jesus' parables, right? He forgives a guy that owes him billions of dollars, and then that guy goes out and shakes down a guy that basically owes him about three months' salary. Let's say 10 or 15 grand, depending on how much you make. And Jesus says, what in the world are you doing? And throughout the scriptures, we see that it's a merciful, gracious heart that God wants us to have. Blessed are what? The merciful, for they will be shown mercy, right? Forgive others as you have been forgiven. There's this sense of if you've experienced the mercy and grace of God, there should be an extension of that mercy and grace to others. But what Jesus is at here is that so often that isn't the case. We respond with very, very harsh criticism towards other people. And to me, as I've looked, especially in our interwebs world today, it's really easy to fire out super harsh criticism, believer to believer, right? It's in Galatians 5.15, Paul says, watch out. If you're not loving one another, you're going to ultimately end up biting and devouring one another. Christian cannibalism, right? He says, if you are harsh in your criticism, if you don't have all the details, if you don't approach a brother in the way that Scripture calls us to approach a brother, what, with gentleness if somebody's trapped by a sin, right? You who are spiritual, restore that person with a gentle heart and a loving heart. And you look at how some of this stuff goes down in our world among believers, and you're like, what in the world is going on here? And I'm not talking about debating the core doctrines of historic Orthodox Christianity, the deity of Christ, those kind of things. I'm talking about how Christians behave towards one another when we're talking about, let's say, the role of women in the home and in the church, or the relationship between divine sovereignty and human free will, what translation of Scripture is best? Or what's the role of charismatic gifts in the church? Or whether I take a literal or literary view of Genesis 1, or the time and the mode of baptism, or how I look at alcohol, or how I look at politics, or how I look at so many things. And to me, these are all secondary issues, and they're issues that Christians are biting and devouring one another over. And it saddens my heart. And usually the justification given is, I'm just defending the truth. God wants me to defend the truth. 
Yes, he does. We're supposed to contend for that faith once delivered to the saints, but we can contend for the faith without being contentious. Turn to 2 Timothy 2. I'll read verse 14 because this kind of puts the context of what Paul is talking about there. He says, Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers. And then later on in verse 22 he says, Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And we hear youthful passions or youthful lusts and think of sexual lust, but I think in the context here he's talking about arguing about words and having to be right. And I remember there was a time in my life and may still continue where I had to be right. I had to prove that I was smarter than you and my view was better than yours. And so I would wrangle and argue about words and saying, well, my lexicon says it's this way. And so Paul's addressing that, and he says, Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a, fool, from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Kind to everyone. To the numbskulls that aren't interpreting this scripture right? Now, that's one of my problems, right? I'm in Scripture a lot. <laughs> and when somebody, I think, is not using it correctly, then immediately it's like, mm. and I get all mm, inside. It's like, it's like, okay, am I being gracious to this person? I don't know how long they've been a believer. I don't know what teaching they've sat under. I don't know anything about that. But am I willing to fire off this really vitriolic, abusive, response because they're getting it all wrong or do I seek to do it in a little different manner? He says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone who believes the exact same things I believe. No. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents. Notice there is correction with gentleness that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Right? So Paul's pretty clear there in telling Timothy, hey, this is how you're to respond to someone that is up in your face and getting on your case. It's not to do likewise. It's to gently correct. It's not to judge motives before you know any details of the circumstances, right? I'm sure if people go back and listen to all my sermons online, they'll be able to take a sound bite out of there and put that somewhere and say, see, I told you Helvey was a heretic. But what is the context in which that was delivered? And have you come to me and said, hey, what did you mean by that, Brett? I mean, I said, yeah, it was just a totally stupid comment. I didn't mean to say that. This is what I actually believe and give the person a chance to respond. Or do I just fire it out there and assume the worst of another person, right? 
1 Corinthians 13 talks about love, and, and it says love believes all things. And when it says that, I don't think it means that love is super naive. Whatever anybody says to you, you just believe it, you know. The guy that calls on the phone that says, hey, we've got a million dollars in Ghana that's sitting there ready for you. All you got to do is give me your bank account number and that routing number, and, and we're golden. Just let it happen. No, but I think... What he's saying there is that love is an attitude of trust, especially towards other believers. And not assuming the worst right away. Not assuming what you don't know is really, really true. Because only God knows the heart. God God judges the secret things of the heart. So believers, if we're only going to embrace fellow Christians who see things and interpret Scripture exactly the same way that we do, we're not going to embrace anybody. Because I'm sure with every person here, you could sit down and I could sit down and I would have a difference of opinion over some issue and how I interpret Scripture or how I apply Scripture in this world. And I think Paul and Jesus are saying, extend grace towards one another. Don't don't blow off differences. Sit down and talk with the person. There's a sense in which we are so quick to judge before extending mercy, right? And again, it's just, to me, it's rampant in the church. There's, I think, whole ministries that are set, quote, ministries that are set up just to be watchdogs. And that's, in one sense, okay. We need to be watching out for that, but then the attitude with which that is done often is not, to me, according to 2 Timothy 2. There's no gentleness, there's no love there, there's no concern for sitting down with the person and saying, hey, where are you coming from? Let's talk about this. What scriptures are you bringing into here? Is there a genuine willingness to talk through? And even if you don't arrive at the same point, recognize that there have been believers that have differed over these things throughout history. I've always puzzled over something in Scripture. It was never really clear to me, but I think I'm maybe understanding it a little bit more now. Jesus says in Luke 11:23, "Whoever's not with me is against me." And then in Luke 9:49 and 50, Jesus, the disciples are saying, "Hey, Jesus, we saw this guy. He was casting out demons in your name, and we told him to stop it, to knock it off." And what does Jesus say to them? The one who's not against you is for you. And I was like, okay, which is it? <laughs> he's not with me, he's against me. But then I realized, look at the pronouns, dumb guy. Look at that. <laughs> one is it's, okay, I have to uh, declare allegiance to Jesus. There's, that's, that's undeniable, right? If you're not for Jesus, you're against Jesus. He requires us to be all in. There's no wishy-washiness there. But when I, as a believer, I'm looking at another believer who's doing something different than me and saying, they're not doing it in the exact way that I think it should be done, Jesus, zap him. Jesus says, if they're not against you, they're for you. So there can be people that do things that I may not necessarily agree with, but if they are in alignment with Jesus, Jesus said, hey, just in one sense, if they're not against you, they're for you. Not everybody is going to agree with everything in terms of how we do ministry and how we live life in this world. That's just the reality. 
but they're not being consistent with my way of doing things does not mean necessarily that they're not a follower of Jesus Christ and love him. And again, to me, we look at this and it's so easy to move into that passing judgment. And we assume motives, right? It's a story I've told over and over, but it's the best story I've ever heard about a motive that can be misunderstood. There's a single guy, this is my mentoring pastor, told me this story down at a business in Houston or Dallas, I wasn't sure which one, but each Thanksgiving they'd give turkeys to an employee, to the employees, right? This guy, he, he was a terrible cook, he always talked about burning his turkey and stuff like that. So they give the turkeys out and he gets the turkey and he's riding home and the other employees thought, hey, we're going to play a joke on, I can't remember the guy's name. And so they made kind of like a paper mache turkey and put a couple bricks in it so it was heavy. So he's carrying the box home with the turkey in it and he sits down next to the bus with a woman who was very poor and shared her story. And he's like, man, I'm not going to eat this turkey anyhow. So in a measure of generosity, he says, you can have my turkey. <laughs> what do you think that woman thought when she got home and unboxed a turkey? That is the most cruel, blankety-blank person I have ever met in my entire life. <laughs> Was his motive <laughs> pure? Yes. So we got to be really careful in how we judge people because we don't have all of the details. So be gracious and kind and sit down with someone and if you're at loggerheads with somebody and you see something, don't assume the worst. But say, you're my brother, you're my sister. I love you, this is something I'm having a hard time figuring out. So as believers, we're not to be harshly critical and judgmental of other believers. But then also here, there's kind of the flip side of that coin. Even though we're clearly commanded here not to be judgmental, that doesn't free us from the responsibility of gently and lovingly correcting others and sharing the truth of God with them. Notice what Jesus says here. He says, when you take that beam out of your eye, he says, just, okay, go on with your life. No, he says, when you take that beam out of your eye, then you will see clearly enough to help your brother get that speck out of his eye. And I know we probably fall on one side or the other on this. Some of you are like, when I was talking about not judging, you're just like, oh, I love this, man. I don't have to get in anybody's face. I don't have to have any confrontation. I'm just going to chill out and not bug anybody, right? That's kind of the political environment that we're in right now. So for those people, there's a little different side here. Yeah, deal with your own stuff, but deal with that in order to be lovingly helpful and sharing truth with those that may not see it yet. And to recognize, okay, we all have blind spots. What's the deal with a blind spot? Yeah, thank you. You don't see it yourself, right? So we need other believers to help correct us. So I need to be a person that's willing to go to another believer, not with a beam in my eye. Hopefully I've gone before the Lord and said, search me, Lord. I want to be someone who's spiritual. That's not someone who's perfect, but someone who's walking by the Spirit, sensitive to the Spirit, has opened my life to the Spirit and said, Lord, if there's anything in my life, I want to deal with that before seeking to correct 
somebody else because it's a fool's errand if I'm thinking I'm going to point something else to some, out to somebody else and I'm still knowingly holding on to sin in my own life. Don't even go near that. But if I can do that with honesty and God's not pointing stuff out or if he has, I've dealt with it, then we're to go and we're to help and to correct but also to recognize that that's not always well received. That's verse 6. He says, Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. So, Here we have, obviously, something that is being shared that's really valuable. It's it's a pearl, right? But there are dogs and pigs that could care less about pearls, right? They want immediate gratification, and when you give them a pearl, they they think, oh, this ain't food, and then they turn and attack you. And when we hear dogs, it's like, oh, dogs. I have Kaya. She's our dog. She's a spiritual dog. She, She really is, you know? She sits by me every morning. I have my quiet time. I'm reading my Bible. As soon as I close my Bible, put it on the table behind, next to me and take off my glasses, she's like right up and she wants to be on my lap for my prayer time. She's very spiritual. But that's not the kind of dogs, that's not the kind of dogs that they're talking about here. These are dogs that were scavenger dogs, right? They were dangerous. And so even were pigs. Pigs were unclean to a Jew but they were also wild. There's accounts back then of these pigs killing kids, young kids. So Jesus is saying, hey, there's some people that when you present that truth to them, something that's really valuable, what's more valuable than the gospel of the kingdom? Something that will give you life with God that's full and rich and endures forever regardless of what this world has to offer. And Jesus says, that's a pearl, that's something really precious. But recognizing you present that sometimes to somebody and they want nothing to do with it. They turn. And they say, I don't want that. I want something that satisfies me right now. And this doesn't. So who are the dogs and the swine? Clearly they're not sinners. Why? Because Jesus spent a whole lot of his time hanging out with sinners. Tax collectors, sex workers, that's there's a crowd often. But who were the ones that were most antagonistic towards Jesus, that turned on him and wanted to kill him? It was the religious leaders of the day. And so you think about them, they're hearing this, and it's like, oh, the dogs and the pigs, those are the Gentile dogs, right? No, 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 no. These are the self-righteous, uptight, religious people that can't stand the gospel of Jesus Christ and want to take Jesus out. I was just reading in Luke this morning, and Jesus knows that these guys want to kill him, and he still goes to the temple, and he still teaches truth to those that are willing to hear. I'm like, that's Zelensky-type bravery and honor that Jesus is displaying there. And so Jesus is not saying, don't share this with people that are sinners. He's saying, don't share it with people that want nothing to do with it and are hostile towards it and probably will make all sorts of problems when you share it and drag Jesus' name through the mud. We see this in Scripture, right? in Acts, where Paul will go into a city and he usually starts in the synagogue, 
But then, okay, usually it says like in Acts 18, it's like, okay, the Corinthian church there, the synagogue, began to oppose him and get aggressive towards him. And he says, okay, I'm done, right? When Jesus sends out his disciples, he says, if you go into town and they want nothing to do with you, then, okay, don't keep battering the door down. Shake your feet off, right? And so to me, there's a place in which we need to kind of take a step back. And I think, again, for some of us, we're more aggressive type, right? We're going to prove that we're right in this situation. The person doesn't seem to want to respond to the gospel, so we'll be a little bit louder. That doesn't usually work right. And so when we're in that situation, Jesus basically says, back off. Back off. Because I think at that point in time, we can do more harm than good. A note of caution, we need to be really careful who we classify as dogs and pigs and very slow to move to that. But it does come a point in time where he says, okay, this is, this is not going anywhere. We're generating a lot of heat, no light, and I just need to back off and I need to pray for that person. Paul says to Titus in Titus 3.10, warn a divisive person once and then again and then have nothing to do with them. Share truth, but recognize that there are certain people that are just itching for a fight. They want nothing to do with the gospel or hearing truth. And it's like, you don't have to keep walking into that. In fact, that will do more harm than good. Reminding us of a story of an Irish guy in Boston, and he walks by a bar, and there's a fight going on outside the bar, and a lot of people are watching, and he nudges a guy and says, is this a private fight, or can anybody join? <laughs> now, don't send me letters about, all oh, Irish people aren't itching for fight. Uh, I know that. It's a stereotype, right? But the reality is there are certain people that are just aggressive and want to get in your case, and they corner people, and they just keep coming and coming and coming. And Jesus says, don't do that. Be gentle, be respectful, but if it's really clear that they want nothing to do with it, you don't have to keep pressing in and convincing them. That's when you pull back and then you start to pray for those people. So how do we apply all of this? Where does it leave us? To me, in the place where Scripture often leaves us, what I call the messy middle. Do we judge or do we not judge? That depends. It depends on my heart attitude. It depends on how I'm looking at judge or evaluate. Clearly, I'm to evaluate. Clearly, I'm to say this is right and that is wrong. But I'm not to be judgmental. I'm not to attribute motive to somebody or declare that's their eternal destiny because that is not my prerogative. That is God's prerogative alone. And again, I think we fall on one side or the other of this coin, right? So if you're one that is like, oh, I'm so glad I don't have to judge anybody. Well, probably God's nudging you to share truth sometimes, to speak up, to see if the other person responds positively because not everybody's dogs and swine. Jesus had a lot of following, especially among those that the religious establishment had written off. But if you're one that just as itching to prove you're right and know the answers and you're going to tell people and you're going to correct the church and you're going to make sure everybody's on the right page and is fighting for truth as you see it and as you interpret it, then maybe you need to pull back a little bit and to recognize that we're called to love one another and we're called to be gentle and kind with one another. And I think Scriptures often leave us in the messy middle because it's a place where we are forced to depend 
and walk with the Holy Spirit, right? The Bible's not an answer book for every question that we have, every situation we face, but the Bible is a book that points us to Jesus and allows us to recognize that there's a Holy Spirit out there that enables us to live this life. And we need wisdom in different situations. And God says, yeah, that's where I want you to be. So one big caution, just be really, really slow before we start rendering verdicts on other people. There's five verses in this passage that are about judging and not doing that in a judgmental way, and there's just one verse about correcting and discerning, right? And I think that ratio may be instructive because it's so easy for us often to move in a judgmental mode without knowing all the details, without valuing that person as a sister or brother in Christ and seeking to assume the best of them, not the worst. 